नमस्कार स्वामी जी नमस्कार डॉक्टर राकेश भंडारी जी राकेश भंडारी जी डॉक्टर भंडारी जी सीनियर वेरी ग्रेटफुल फॉर ऑल द हॉस्पिटैलिटी एंड सपोर्ट फ्रॉम इंडस यूनिवर्सिटी विच इज नाउ लाइक अ होम टू बी फॉर द लास्ट फ्यू ईयर्स and therefore it's a very suitable place to release this book also in the car when they picked me up yesterday at the airport i asked ki kis bhasha mein bolna chahiye ab hindi mein bol sakte hain english mein bol sakte hain to faisla unhone ye kiya ki आज का जमाना YouTube का जमाना है सो यू हैव टू बी YouTube फ्रेंडली सो उसके बारे में मैं विचार करूंगा उसके बारे में आई विच एक्सप्लेन समथिंग आजकल के जमाने में एनालिक्स हिंदी इंग्लिश आई थिंक आई थिंक YouTube में कुछ थोड़ा थोड़ी हिंदी भी डालनी चाहिए so about 20 we say 80% are hindus but they are not really practicing hindus and they are not going to defend hindus they just be hindus for name sake i would say 25% of indians are really solid hindus in the sense they are practicing they understand it they this is this is the primary identity otherwise identity maybe if you ask somebody what is your identity he may say i am a cricket fan i am bollywood lover uh, i am a you know upper class person lower class person caste identity you know i like this or that fashion there there are many ways of identifying i am a techno brand like that but i think very few will say feel that being dharma is primary identity primary there are many other secondary identities. very few are willing to take the risk stick their neck out and defend so i would say about maybe one in four percent is really hindu dharmic in the true sense not symbolic in the bani card bhi diya christmas ka bhi bhej diya ha mithai bhej di aur phir christmas tree bhi laga diya valentine day bhi laga diya aur lohri bhi bana di not like that but people really hindu dharma not secularized hindus but hindu hindus maybe 25% and another 25% the opposite extreme were very clearly anti hindu when you say something about sanskrit or vedas or dharma they say this communal so in the middle we have 50% left this 50% are the confused middle majority of indians are confused about this issue they go this way they go that way even their voting pattern is fluctuating and what they think of all this depend who they talking to maybe privately they one way publicly they another way in front of this person they talk like this somebody else talking like now this 50% confused middle is my target market my target market because it's so big they are the ones who need guidance 
the 25% who are already solid, they are already solid. They will benefit from my book because they will know how to argue. Not in their personal life, but in their public discussion, they can use these arguments to make arguments better. And the 25% who are anti, it's a waste of time. I cannot expect that they will change. The reason I debate them is not to change their mind. I don't expect that. But to show to the 50% how you debate with them. Don't run away from them. And also to show to the 25% who are protecting the dharma how to debate with the opponents, what they are like, what is their strength, what is their weakness, how to debate with them. But the real target who I want to influence are the middle 50% confused people. So I write, my primary target are westernized, anglicized, googleized Indians. <laughs> YouTubeized Indian. That is the future will go one way or the other depending on which way they go. That is people will lose it quickly. They were part of the 25% Hindus. Now they've slipped in one generation, they've slipped to the middle ground, they could go either this way or that way. And rapidly they're slipping fast towards the anti-Hindus. So this is the place we have to engage. So we have to engage them in, in a language and metaphor and style, the way they can understand. It's very important. Otherwise we are just talking to each other in like-minded people. Actually, I don't go to too many like-minded meetings. I go to the unlike-minded people. Because that is where we have to debate. That is where the opportunity comes. So, Today is Republic Day and it's a good time to reflect, reflect on nation patriotism. It's great that for almost 70 years we've been independent. But I would provoke you to think that our independence has been mainly political independence and lately financial economic independence. But we are not intellectually independent. Our education system still is what the British developed, the history they developed. This Aryan theory, Aryan tributary divide, this idea of caste system, all kinds of things have been created in the colonial era. The way we study our history, how we date our texts, this whole idea of human rights, all these kind of things are recent. Day before yesterday, I was in Shri Shri Ravi Shankar's ashram and Shri Shri Ji launched my little book event for me in front of 5,000 people. Big grand event. Then I went to a conference room where inner circle, the senior most people, they wanted to have me talk and discuss. And I told them I want to invite all kind of people for question answers, including people who disagree, especially people who disagree. I like that. So in the Q&A, there is one young woman who wanted to really argue about human rights violations of Vedas and Hindus and 
Sanskrit violence, northeast people in the northeast don't want it, and this all kind of stuff like that. So, one of the questions, one of the issues we discussed afterwards because we didn't have enough time is very important for you to know. There is a civilization, Western, whose basic ethics is human rights. In dharma, it is human responsibilities. What are your responsibilities towards yourself, family, community, all human beings, nature, animals, cosmos, environment? What are your responsibilities towards all these? So a society where people basically are saying, how do I serve all these different devils? Not, what do I get out of them? It's a different society. So I mentioned to them that, look, the reason this ashram is so harmonious, nobody goes around saying, what's my right to eat? What, how much food am I entitled to? What's my right for this? What's my right for that? Nobody's hiring lawyers to litigate and sue people to get their rights. Everybody is with the bhav, how do I serve? So if you have a society where the individual unit, which is the building block, has this bhav of dharma, what is my dharma, what do I do for my dharma? You, you build a whole community of harmony, diversity and harmony. On the other hand, if you have a society where there is greed, selfishness, too much individualism, everybody trying to fight for his rights over others, then what you have is this vote banking. Everybody saying, how do we form a cluster and beat the other group? We get quota more than them. Politicians come and say, I'll organize you into your own vote bank, you vote for me, I'll get you a better deal. The whole thing is fragmenting, 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 fighting, fighting, fighting. It's a recipe for disaster, beating each other up. This is the calamity we're facing. So, so this attack, this infiltration of Western ideology, whether it is Marxism, whether it is human rights, whether it is RN theory, casteism. These are, casteism is an import because we had jatis and varna, but there wasn't this kind of animosity that I have to beat those guys. The reason I'm poor is those people. It wasn't there. So, this type of thing is convincing me that we are still colonized, we are still colonized, we are not fully independent. Even though this is Republic Day, we have to ask ourselves, are we really properly independent or not? In the area of the study of our civilization, the name given to this discipline is Indology. The name was given by British people 200 years ago. And so, the cover of this book, which I'm launching today, and we will have copies available outside, and the, the image at the bottom is a sculpture from Oxford University. In one of the big chapels, on the wall is this sculpture. And, it, and this is about a famous East India Company judge in Calcutta. His name was Sir William Jones in the 1790s. This is called Sir William Jones and the Pandits. These are Pandits sitting on the floor. And he's giving them dictation. It shows he's giving them dictation. Actually, he was sitting at their floor learning from them. But in the sculpture, he goes, when they put it up in England, 
they show that they were sitting at his feet learning from him. And it says, he gave the Hindus their laws. Which means, Hindus didn't have any laws, he gave them their laws. Yeah, they must be uncivilized people. So he's teaching them their laws. He cut and paste some Manusmiti and different Smithis from here and there, put some distortions, came up with some hodgepodge British ideas of laws, told the Hindus that these are your laws. I'm here to teach you your laws. So the Adhikar, as Adhikar of who interprets Hindu law was grabbed by him. So since then, the field of Indology has been there for 200 years or more. To, for Westerners to interpret our Sanskrit and our Sanskriti, our texts, and teach it to us through their drishti, their lens, their way of looking. Most oldest or very old Sanskrit texts, Sanskrit manuscripts were taken to Europe and they have not been returned even now. I don't know why the government never demanded them back. But we have not demanded that all ancient Sanskrit texts be returned and we should archive them, put them in a museum, have scholars study them. Nobody has demanded it. And by one estimate, there are 500,000 Sanskrit manuscripts sitting outside India. So, a whole field of Sanskrit studies, Indian studies, Indology studies started. And I call it Videshi Indology. To emphasize that this is a Videshi point of view. It's not our own interpretation. Some of them were very hardworking. Some of them were very brilliant. Some of them meant well, trying their best also. It's not that all of them were bad. And it's not that their motives were bad. But the fact is, at the end of the day, they had their point of view because of their own conditioning, their own history, their own philosophy, their own identity. It was very strong in the way they interpreted. So, the Adhikar shifted. Instead of our people having the Adhikar to interpret, we were now sitting literally like the carving shows, sitting at the feet of the Westerners learning about who we are. It's a joke. It's really a disgrace. Now, this went on for a long time. And then every European university of considerable size started a department of Sanskrit studies because they felt that a lot of treasures existed in Sanskrit texts which they could take and call it their own. They learned grammar from Panini and started developing grammar of European languages. So many things, mathematics, they learned. So much medicine they learned. You see, so the transfer of knowledge through the study of Indology is huge. Nobody has documented it and if someday I get to play a role in writing the history of India, if that were to ever be possible, ever made possible, a large part of what I would propose is to write about the history of Indian influences outside. 
history of India is not just one king fighting with the king. What year he fought and who built this monument. That's one part of the But what did we teach the best of the rest of the world? East Asia, Southeast Asia, Middle East, Europe. Indian influences on the world is a very large part of Indian history. It's not only Indian history, it's not only what happened to the geography of India, but the Indian ideas went whatever they did elsewhere. But this is not the way, even the way we, our people think. They don't think of Indian history as how we civilize the world in some ways, some areas. So this knowledge being sucked out of India went on for a long time. Meanwhile, we were told we are inferior, we have to be civilized. The British are like parents, we are children, they are raising us. It's in our own best interest, we should do whatever they told, whatever we told. So along came the RN theory by Max Miller. No Indian stood up to refute it. He just ignored it. It's a very bad habit. Our tradition says you must do Purva Paksha on the other. Purva Paksha means you study the other. Not shouting, not throwing paint at him, throwing stones at him, or abusing him, but in a very respectful way, studying what are they doing. Right? Like in military, you study what is the other side doing. In cricket, you study what, are, what kind of team do they have, what are their strengths. Then you can give a response, the Uttar Paksha. So we have a tradition, ancient, the oldest debating tradition in the world is Indian tradition. And it, it says you must first study the other to Purpaksh. And understand him so well that you understand him as well as he understands his point of view. Only then you are qualified to give a response. We ignored this. When the early Christians came and settled on the Malabar coast, we did not study Christianity. We just said, okay, there are some people who came, then they can live. But we did not understand them. When the Portuguese came, we did not understand what is this Christianity. When the Muslims came, we did not do a poor part of Islam. When Marxism came, when colonialism came, postmodernism came, all these things coming. You know, our traditional scholars have not, have not done their job because they are sitting in a silo, introverted, talking to each other, and just repeating the same classical texts rather than figuring out what is happening in the world today. Our place in globalization, this is the globalization is the new Kurukshetra. It is the intellectual Kurukshetra. It is the commercial Kurukshetra, political Kurukshetra. We have to understand this Kurukshetra, like Sri Krishna interpreted the Kurukshetra at that time, who these people are, what they are doing, who is doing what. So he is doing the Purupaksha of the other side. So we have to do Purupaksha, but our traditional scholars are not doing it. For that, you must, they must learn English to understand the other side. They must learn the theories, Siddhanta, the philosophy of these other people. They must have courage to respond. They must have funding. So I'm trying to use this book as a way to get our team of traditional scholars. This is where I need help from all the Sanskrit places. Anybody in place that is teaching Sanskrit. We want to start a team. One team we are starting in Bangalore, Chennai area. Due to this trip, I was well received by Sanskrit universities and some of our traditional you know, organizations. And they want to help create such a team. And another team could start here with Indus University because we have a center for Indian studies. 
one of the very few and unique centers which is giving a Swadeshi Drishti, not a Videshi Drishti. So here also we could start uh, what I call home team of intellectual Kshatriyas who study these things from our point of view. So these intellectual Kshatriyas doing Puru Paksha and giving Uttar Paksha is a very important part of how to how to proceed. So after independence, the uh, <coughs> Indology became less in Europe. It did not come here. It went to the United States. It's called South Asian Studies. U.S. government funded, private people funded. So this is the Americanization of the Adhikar. Instead of European Adhikar, became American Adhikar. So today, you ask any scholar from one of the traditional mathas or, or Sanskrit departments, <coughs> where are the best journals? They tell you they are in USA. Where are the best conferences on, on this field? They are in USA. Where is the best place to get a PhD for your career? They would rather go to USA or Oxford or someplace. So we don't have the best institutional mechanisms for studying our own culture. <coughs> it's like giving adhikar to your opponent to study you and sending your own people there. And irony is that a lot of our billionaires are funding this, funding them. <coughs> Not only they are funding them, they are arguing that it's a good thing to do. They are saying that they are better at us at doing this than we are. So if we don't, uh, if we can't do it, we will we'll have them do it and it will be better for us. This is, this is, uh, it's like imagine if an army officer were saying that we'll ask Musharraf to run our military academy because he's very good at it. And he's a very nice guy. He came here and he told us he'll run it and he'll even do it for free. And don't worry, we have enough for it. NRI will fund it also. We will don't worry, we will take care of it. And we very foolish thing if we decided that that's the right thing to do. But that's what's happening in the field of Indology. Our people are funding the Videshi Indology. Narayan Murthy funding Ivy Leagues to translate our text into English using their Drishti, their editorial board. Their standard of how you translate certain words. <coughs> Not only that, the traditional scholars that some of your organizations have have not been invited to do a review, to even pass comment on whether this work is good or not. You don't even count. You're sidelined. That's pretty ridiculous for it to be. So this is loss of adhikar and more worse than the British era. Because at least Indian businessmen were not funding those guys. And traditional Mathas were not uh, supporting them. But now Indian government giving the Padam Shiris, some of these scholars overseas, that they are interpreting us better than we can interpret ourselves. What can we do, sir? So I tell them that if we can be the world leader in IT and pharmaceuticals, things like automobile, manufacturing, why can't we create a 
world's best in big studies. Why can't we? If we don't have it, we can create the capacity like we did in other areas. So, the uh, our ancestors, our ancestors in places like Nalanda, Takshashila, and various other places were the producers of knowledge. The whole world would send their bright people to learn. We would teach the world. Now we are consumers of knowledge and we are learning from others. So knowledge production is done elsewhere. We learn from them. Even the knowledge about our own civilization quite a ridiculous state. So I would question whether <coughs> we are truly decolonized. I doubt that we can say we are decolonized. So this is uh, this is what this battle for Sanskrit is about. The book is not to teach you Sanskrit. For that you should join Sanskrit Bharati, the good organization and many others. It is not to tell you the greatness and glory of Sanskrit. A lot of people have written on that. But to <coughs> the purpose of the book is to inform our own traditional scholars what they don't know about the international discourse on Sanskrit and Sanskriti. It's not just Sanskrit. Sanskrit and Sanskriti civilization are intertwined, interrelated. So, at the World Sanskrit Congress about six months ago, I announced this book and the Indians and Thai people, this was in Bangkok, the Thai people, the Southeast Asian people loved it. Because I'm going to talk about how the Adhikar should go back to the traditional people. They all loved it. Many of the Westerners were therefore very angry. Because they are used to being saluted and you know exalted. And here comes one Indian who was saying that we got to take the Adhikar back. So they started attacking me personally, immediately, making all kind of false allegations, which never, none of them were true, none of them could be there. But they tried to convince the publishers to withdraw it. And it failed because, thanks to many people like you, the support from me was very strong. So today we are, we have this book, despite all the attempts to stop it. So you could say we won the first battle for Sanskrit already. Because, which means we have the Adhikar to do poor push on others, to critique them, to evaluate them on our own terms, to talk about it freely among ourselves, and to want to take this Adhikar back. But big difference, many differences between the British domination era and the American many differences. One of them is that unlike the British era when most of the people doing this orientalism and ideology were Koras, now we have a very large number of Indians doing this the Indian left. 
are eating out of their hands all this stuff about why Vedas have abused him, Vedas have this problem, Ramayana is abusive, all that they learn <coughs> and it's become fashionable. It's become fashionable among our people to start propagating this kind of idea. Most of them don't know enough. They don't want to sit down and discuss with me, debate with me. Mainstream media don't want me around. When I'm gone, when I leave, they criticize me behind my back when I can't talk back. So, I'll give you a quick rundown of what are some of the main problems with Western Indology, which I've discussed in this book. One of the main problems, biggest points, is that they are unhappy with the sacredness because they're secular people, atheistic people. Being atheists, they want to deny the sacredness in Sanskrit, Vedas, Ramayana, texts. They don't like Yajna, they don't like Mantra, they don't like Pujas. So they don't like the things that make Sanskrit and Sanskriti so special for us. Not only they remove these things, but they claim that this is socially abusive, it is oppression. It is meant to oppress and exploit your caste. Men want to exploit women by excluding them. This is how Ramayana is being interpreted, this is how Vedas are being interpreted. So, rather than looking at it through the lens of sacredness, the way we do, they are looking at it through the atheistic lens of human rights. And they have this theory that the spread of Sanskrit was done as a conspiracy by kings to give themselves more political power. So when you perform Ramayana, you respect the king because Ram is a king. So you have blind obedience to him. Like this is the whole interpretation that they made. That the spread of Sanskrit and Sanskriti is a way to increase the authority, political authority of upper caste elites and exploit the others. So this uh, shift in the way we are being studied is very serious. This is what the whole left is doing. That is the whole ideological point. This is subordinate studies. This is feeding the casteism. This is feeding this breaking India forces. The origin of this is the ideological studies and orientalism that go on in the West and brought to India by British <coughs> scholars quote all this right in there. And the funding of Ford Foundation and other NGO type mechanisms. And all these English speaking slick media people who go around getting the same training. So this knowledge is comes through academic, to Indian academics. It comes through foundations to NGOs for NGO work. It comes through media training, journalism training to our journalists. It comes through various training centers for IAS, IFS offices. They are alienated too. And lately, even the Hindu political establishment parties are being infiltrated. So a lot of so we don't have a we don't have a machinery to even do surveillance, to even to even look out for what who's who, who's right, who's not right. So anybody who comes and says a few shlokas and talks very nicely, beautifully, says you are this old civilization, I love you, I want to revive your civilization, we believe it must be so. 
So this is the, the use of Saam and Dhan and hide the Bhed and Dhan. Project the Saam and Dhan, you know, the, the good stuff, positive diplomacy, and hide the Bhed and Dhan. This is going on. Now, there is an attack on the oral tradition which says that the oral tradition is not a useful one, it's a bad one. History starts with writing. So whatever happened before cannot be considered history. This is very mischievous. This is very, very mischievous. Because if you remove the oral tradition, you you discounted a large part of Indian history. Because we have a lot of oral tradition. I mean, our music is oral, our dance is oral, so many Sanskrit texts are oral. And Balmiki is much older than the date they're giving. They're giving a date after Buddha and they're saying that it was done under the influence of Buddhism. This is very strange. So, uh, many issues I've raised in this book and I need people to become educated by reading it. It takes very complicated logic and complicated written works that the people have produced, that scholars have produced and brings it down to a very simple level so average person who can read English can understand what are the main arguments because that's what I want to do is teach the average Amarmi English reader in a very straightforward way what are the arguments being used against us and how to talk back, how to raise doubt and how to talk back. So the another theory is that Sanskrit is a dead language, it's been dead for thousand years and Hindu kings killed it. Hindu kings killed it. Some of the Muslims tried to help it, but the Hindus would not cooperate. Very, very interesting, interesting theory. And then there is this uh, theory that the negative Orientalism, the negative uh, uh, these things that Europeans did, uh, called Orientalism, which was racist, biased. Actually, they learned it from Sanskrit only. There is a theory that this uh, built-in uh, atrocity, tendency to hate and violence against others, was built into the Sanskrit text. And when the Europeans came and started studying these things, they picked up these ideas and took them. As if Europeans were very nice people and did not have any racism and we taught them. It's very strange. Including the claims made that Nazism and the Holocaust of Jews had something to do with their study of Sanskrit texts. So this is a very amazing claim. So the point is that this type of thing is getting worse. And you know, I don't have any personal hatred or animosity towards these scholars. I think they are doing their job. Some of them are very brilliant, very brilliant, hardworking. It's our people who need to give a response and haven't done it. When I ask these scholars, why is why is are you not getting a critical response? The answer I get is that, look, we haven't stopped the traditional people. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. It's not our job to make them wake up. They're not giving a response. They're not giving a response. What do we do? I mean, it is the traditional scholar who's sleeping, who's not doing the pool function. Sometimes lazy, sometimes scared. Some of them are sold out. All it takes is one ticket and a trip, trip to U.S. For a semester, they give them some nice treatment. The fellow comes back totally convinced and converted for the rest of his life. He's always like a dog who's looking for a treat, wagging his tail and saying, okay, you know, that sort of thing. That's what the Indian left to become. 
So uh, this is the so we have this Make in India project. Why only Make in India manufacturing? Why not Make in India the Indic studies and Sanskrit studies? Why not have Make in India? How can we just Make in India manufacturing and let them make the Indology about us? Who exploited whom? What is the gender relations? What is all this scholarship coming from somewhere else? All our left-wing scholars running there to learn, come back, impress those guys, get their funding. So this is like the whole intellectual apparatus, I would say 80-90% is fed, bred and loyal to this kind of Indology from somewhere else. That is what is happening here. So we are colonized. And uh, I think the decolonization from Britain has been followed by recolonization from the United States intellectually. This is what's going on. So uh, we, our response needs to be dignified, not angry, calm, thoughtful, very intellectual. And we need to build teams of strong intellectuals who understand our tradition and who understand enough English to be able to read the other side and interpret them and talk back. And we have to teach them debating skills. We have to teach them media skills. Like that we have to teach them. So this is my goal, this is my project. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've now teamed up with Indus University. I'm very delighted and honored and need help from as many of you as possible. I thank you for listening. I would love to now take some questions. Thank you. Thank you.